Oh, oh, it's good to be in church today. We're beginning our new series. I'm excited about it. Uh, today we're going to look at traveling light. Let's letting go of some stuff. And actually that's the name of today's sermon is letting go of some stuff. So if you have your inserts, you can pull them out. Um, if you enjoy version, you can go to version on your phone and uh, go Church on the Rock Huntley and all the scriptures and notes are there on your phone as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the new app. I enjoyed the new app. I think 103 people downloaded it last Sunday, so hopefully uh, you got to check that out a little bit. It, it's a good way that we can keep in connection, and so uh, all the people that worked on that app, good job, good job. How many would you agree with this? Would you agree that everybody on the earth is wanting to be happier? We're searching for happiness. We wake up every day and we go out in the world and we're striving to maintain a consistent level of happiness or hopefully to improve on the happiness that we already are enjoying or that we've already achieved. You know, it used to be that the pursuit of happiness used to be having rich relationships and giving back to others and investing uh, yourself to ensure that you're always growing with God and growing to be a better person, which is important. But somewhere along the way, I believe our culture has tried to redefine happiness for us. They're trying to redefine it by saying, man, happiness is having the newest and the nicest things. And spending our objects on stuff and, and accumulating wealth to impress others and to have more without focusing on real gain to yourself and with your God and others. I believe that we've handed over our happiness to possessions and that we thought that we needed to be have, we thought, man, I need to have this. It, but at the end of the day, there's always something in us that is a constant push to have more. So I want to talk to us about today that we don't fall into that trap of always having to have more. That constant push that more is better. And uh, so that's kind of what we'll be talking about. Have you ever noticed that your first cup of coffee in the morning it's real refreshing. Somebody's going to have to fix that echo. It's bothering me a little bit. It's real refreshing, that first cup of coffee. It's real refreshing in the morning, and it's real enjoyable. But how many notice that that second cup is never quite the same? Uh, yesterday, we had a bunch of chocolates, and I ate the first chocolate, and it was real enjoyable. But you know about the 10th or 11th chocolate? <laughs> it wasn't quite as enjoyable. But it's ingrained in us, it's ingrained in us that more is better. More is better. It's always better. I remember my granddad telling a story when uh, uh, the trains came through. My granddad was born like in 1904. But he said the trains came through Lamar, Missouri for the first time. And he said he saw something on the train that he had never seen before. It was yellow and it was about that long and it kind of had a, a, a curve in it that we all know is a banana. Well, my granddad had never seen a banana. And on this train was this big pod of the bananas. And my granddad said he saw those bananas and he went and he opened up one of those bananas and he ate it. And he opened up another banana and he ate it. And he opened up another banana and he ate it. He ate the whole pod to my granddad's dying day. He could never touch a banana again. <laughs> I mean, he was like, ah. You know, the same applies with material things. There are places where our world, it places that consumer culture actually says that that's part of our identity, that we need more to be happy. 
If you don't have the latest, greatest, uh, if you don't have the latest piece of technology, well, surely you've got the Apple 11 Pro Max by now. And if you don't, you're like, wow, what's wrong with people? But you know, if we start looking to keep up with fashion and we start looking to keep up with technology, how many know that that changes every day? And we never can keep up with that, so we can't look to looking at stuff. Everybody say stuff. We can't look at stuff to keep us full. I think I want to take a step back today and look at our situation and say, do you have possessions or do your possessions have you? Do you have possessions or do your possessions have you? You know, there's nothing wrong with having money and having nice things. I think heaven's a pretty amazing. It's when money and nice things have us. You know, the scripture teaches that the world offers, offers cravings for our physical pleasure. Cravings for everything that we see. The world offers pride in our achievement and what we have possessed with our lives. And the Bible says that these are far from the Father because he's not of this world. He's not of this world. And there's another scripture. You know, uh, there's another scripture in Proverbs 27, 20. This isn't on your notes, but it says, Sheol and Abaddon. I looked up Abaddon, and that means the angel of death that's talked about in Revelations. Abaddon um, is that angel of death talked about. Well, it says that hell and that guy are never satisfied. And then it says, so are human beings. It says sometimes we are just never satisfied with what we have. You know, it's tough in this world because everything's designed to hit our cravings, what we desire. Everywhere we look, everywhere we go, everything we hear, it's all in our face and it's feeding this endless desire and craving inside of us. You know, it could be a snare, even a setup. Sometimes I look at this world and I think, wow, WWW, World Wide Web. It's like a web, man. You know, in the Bible, um, there's a story. It's in Joshua chapter 7. When the children of Israel were getting ready to enter into the good land that the Lord had for them, God said to them, he said, hey, guys, when you cross over the Jordan, he said, when you get over there, you're going to conquer this city named Jericho. How many know about Jericho? That's where they marched around it seven times and they shouted and the walls came down. How many are familiar with that story? But God told them, he said, when you get over there, I'm going to give you the land, but don't look at anything. Don't take anything from there. Don't take any of the gold. Don't take any of the silver. Don't take anything. Don't take any. We're not going to uh, uh, take what they have and put it in our belongings. We're going to get rid of everything. Don't even look at it. Don't even touch it. But there's this guy named Achan. And I think that many of us might be able to relate with him. But he said, man, I saw, everybody say saw. I saw that beautiful robe of Babylon. Man, I just saw that beautiful robe. I saw that that outfit I just had to have. Man, there were 200 silver coins just sitting there. And a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. He said, I wanted them so much I couldn't take it. And he said, so I took them. And I have to say that they're hidden hidden in my tent beneath the ground. And you know, the world can have that effect on us to where we just crave it and we want it and we think we got to have it all. Did you know that there is even on the physical or on research side of things, you know, in the spiritual side of things, the Lord teaches us that less is more. 
and that we are, are to watch out that, for that craving that we can't appease. But did you know even uh, in, our, in studies and in, in, in research, new research is emerging that shows how being more materialistic correlates with an emotional, a lower emotional well-being. That, 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 that the more that you're, that you're wanting material things, that they're learning that it's correlating with a less emotional well-being. You know, millennials get picked on all the time, but I think millennials got something right, especially in one area. One area that millennials seem to get it right is they understand that experiences and friendships and, and memories are more of a cornerstone and those things are truly rewarding and they're learning that that is something that produces happiness. Millennials, you're starting to get that where my generation, we were about accumulating and having more and having more and having more. But millennials have seen what that's done to our society. And they, 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 they've looked around and, they, and, they've, and they've said, they took, the, they, they took a look and they said, I don't want to be that way. Seriously, guys, take a look at your house alone and, and, and honestly answer. When you open up your, your closets, is it all falling out on top of you? When you get in some cabinets in your kitchen, do you see this blender that you had to have or all this stuff to where you, you can't even find the simple things that we're even looking for? Take a look at even that. And it's because of that consumer society that we're encouraged all the time. Buy more. You need more. You got to have more. More, more, more. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And again, everywhere we look, it hits the cravings that we naturally have. But I would say today that happiness is not directed linkly to the things that we own. There comes a point where the more things we own, the more overwhelmed that we feel. You might want to write this down. Exaggerated materialism, we're ringing again, Randy. Um, exaggerated materialism leads to overconsumption. Are y'all with me? Exaggerating it leads to where we, oh, we have overconsumption. Here's a key thought. My, does, my life does not consist of what I have, my stuff. So second point today in your handout is this. I want us to consider something today. I want us to consider letting go of some worldly stuff. Letting go of some worldly stuff. That's your feeling. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. Would you all agree with that? It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what really does matter. You know, the Bible teaches us that we're to be in this world, but we're not to be, everybody say, of this world. We're aliens. I believe in aliens. I believe in aliens because the scripture says we're aliens. We're supposed to be aliens. Do, 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 do. We're from another place. This world is not my home. I want to ask you, is this world your home? Is this world, is it, are we trying to consume this world? Are we a sojourner just passing by a pilgrim and we're looking to our future home? How many of you look to the future home? That needs to be something in it. And I know it's hard to think about that, especially when you're young. Beloved, the Bible says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the desires of your flesh because they war against your soul. You know, the desires of your flesh are in direct opposition to your soul that is to be given to Christ. It's a war. They war. 
You know, the Bible says, seriously, guys, seriously, all of us used to live that way to where we followed the passionate desires of our flesh. Hey, guys, seriously, all of us, before we were born again, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, that that's the way we followed our passionate desires of the flesh and the in inclinations of our sinful nature. By our, very by our very actions, we just went for what we wanted. You know, brothers and sisters, we can't be mesmerized with popular culture. We can't be sucked into the ways of this world. We, you know, one of the negative things, and Carmen touched on it a little bit today, one of the negative things that I see in the American church today is that sometimes I think we get too preoccupied with pop, pop, pop culture and what's cool. It's become so much of a part of us that we tend to be immersed in exactly the same things that this world is, and we try to tag God on it and try to make it work that way. But brothers and sisters, he's called us to be separate. He's called us to be different. A Christian doesn't, I don't think the way I used to think. I don't do what I used to do. I'm not into the same stuff because God put a change in my heart. He's put a change in my heart. You know, Jesus even said when we're talking about this world and stuff, he was like, man, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. That's some tough language. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. I remember one time, you know, as a young man, you tend to notice all the girls more than you do when you're 51. You get where, hey, there's hope, guys. You get where you, but when you're a young man, you're like, oh, how I look at, hello, there, and stuff like that. And you're like, man, I'm not supposed to do that. I used to be like, man, I need to pluck my eyes and all that stuff. And one day the Lord spoke to me and said, I was like, God, please let me be blind. Just pluck them. Just pluck them. He's like, well, if I take your eyes, I got to take your mind too. <laughs> and I felt the Lord laugh with me about that. But uh, anyway, but, but the Lord was like, man, if your eyes are thin, you pluck them out. It's better to go to heaven without any eyes than to go to hell with your eyes. And then he said with your hands, if your hands. But the point is, guys, here's the point. Is the things that you're craving that you know are anti-God. Or anti-good. God's good. God, God, goodness. Anti-God, anti-good, anti-Christ. Man, pluck those things. Cut them off. Get them away. And, you know, it needs to be something that comes off the lips of Christians. We need to say, take this world from me. Take this world from me. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I want you. You know, John's writing. John wrote John, then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But he ended up, John, all of his writings, everything he wrote, he ended up in 1st John 5, 21. And he said this, his very end words of everything John wrote, he said this, little children, keep yourself from idols. Isn't that amazing that he summarized everything that he wrote? He summarized everything. He said, hey, little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. I mean, that was the end. Oh, okay. And, and you know, and I think that I'm like, idols? You know, I went to India and you see Hindu temples and, and Buddha. And you see all these temples of worship and all that. I've seen all that. I'm like, oh, we don't have a problem with that in America. But maybe we do. Because the Bible, you know, an idol, I looked up idol this week. An idol is any, is any God substitute. An idol is any God substitute. 
anything that we make bigger than him. If we take some element of popular culture, whether it's leisure, pastime, possession, things, hobbies, special interests, sports, arts, if we make them bigger, working out, work, work, anything, guys, if we make them bigger than God, that's what Scripture says, that it becomes an idol. And when we make something an idol, that's when you set it in the middle and everything orbits around it. Everything orbits around it. And God becomes secondary. Idolatry is when God is removed from the throne and something else is put in that place. Are y'all with me today? He said, my little children. He said, my little children, keep yourself from having these idols. And, you know, when I thought about how can I practice that, how can I make sure I don't have idols in my life, and how can I practice not being of, of this world, one thing is I can ask myself, write this down, ask yourself this, what's getting the most of you? What's getting the most of you? What's getting the most of your time? What's getting the most of your thoughts? What gets the most of your energy? What gets the most of your, of your finances? What you value is what you're going to put your time, your finance, and your energies to. And brothers and sisters, I don't want to make people feel bad or nothing, but you know, church, you're supposed to be challenged and stuff. I want to challenge you today to make sure that your energies and your time, that God isn't, that, that, that stuff isn't the center of your life and you're orbiting around it. But I want you to make sure that God is the center of your life and you're orbiting around him. Okay? So we should ask ourselves, is there anything more important than God? If yes, take it down. Is there any activity that I'm involved in right now? Is there anything that I know is unpleasing to God that it's contaminating me? It's tempting me towards sin. It's helping me. It's, it's preventing me from being the man or the woman that God asked me to be. Hey, guys, say this with me. Take it down. Take it down. Take it down. Take it down. I love the scripture. I, I didn't have time to look it up, but I remember as a young man, um, I loved reading about Jehu. Jehu, was, he had a chariot, and the Bible said nobody was like King Jehu. The Bible said he drives furiously for the Lord. And, and I love the way King James says it. He, man, the man Jehu, he drove furiously for the Lord. Man, I can see him coming in on two wheels of his chariot and, and pulling in to these gods where, they, where Christians were worshiping Baal. They were having idols. Jehu pulling in and, 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 and letting... I found commitment in the things that I already have. I've discovered that I've got more room for generosity. I've begun to, I've begun to bend my pursuit towards not things, but others. And I've learned that my life doesn't consist of stuff. I'm not what I have. I want you to say this. I am not what I have. I'm not what I own. I'm not what I drive. I'm not what I wear. Letting go of stuff. I close with this, letting go of stuff. If we let go of stuff, then let us lay hold of Christ. Everybody say lay hold of Christ. And I want you to look around. Here's how this scripture says. Man, you are in such a, a large crowd. Look around the church today. Man, you are in such a large crowd around you today. And as you're joining this crowd, let us get rid of everything that slows us down. This is Hebrews 12.1. Especially the sin... 
that just won't let go. And we must determine to run the race that is, a, that is ahead of us. The gospel is so much more than just go, than letting go of things that slow us down. It's about laying hold of the promises and the power that God has for us in Christ. God's got a race for us to run and a prize for us to, to get, and he wants us to run and not look back. God wants us to keep focused on the goals that he has for us, and he wants us to win that prize that he's calling us in Christ Jesus. Here's the next point on that. As we're laying hold of Christ and we're running that race, write this down. Let us not, lead us not into temptation. As we're running for God, Matthew 6, 13 says, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Have you ever thought where temptation comes from? How many of you ever thought where temptation, first of all, James says temptation doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt it, nor does he tempt any man. But it says every man or woman is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and desires. Lust is simply a strong desire. It's not just talking about a sexual thing. Lust is just a strong desire. So when we're lust, when it, we're drawn away by things that we have a strong desire for, even if you've ever wondered before, hey, when is something temptation and when is it sin? It's real clear in Scripture. The Bible says that every man is drawn away of his own lust, comma, and enticed. A strong desire is not sin. It's when you take a strong desire and you entice it. Keep looking and you keep wanting. You entice it and you fuel it and you feed it. The Bible says when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. What I do in my hour of temptation, what I do when this world and the cravings of this world, they're, they're calling me, I want it, I, I see it, I gotta have it. Matthew 26, 41. The Bible says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptations. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, write that one down. You need the word. You know, Jesus, hey, what did Jesus fight temptation with? The word. When he was tempted, all three times Jesus says, what did he say? It is written. It is written. So, so the first thing, Matthew 20, what do I do in my hour of temptation? Matthew 26, watch and pray. Second thing, everybody say this, take the way out. Hey, husband, how many times you had a way out of a fight and you didn't take it? How many times have we had, everybody says, oh, sin just overtook me. Baloney. Guys, listen to your pastor. Baloney. Sin that I fall in is every time it is a choice that I made. And I had time to make that. Don't give me, oh, it just overtook me. I couldn't help it. Bull. An emptiness in my life. And I've tried to fill it with stuff. But I can't seem to fill it. Jesus, I ask you today, would you come into my life? Would you fill my life with yourself? 
take this world from me? Take the bad decisions from me? Take the choices that I've made that haven't been good? Take those from me today, Lord. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to stand to your feet. As you stand to your feet, I want you to hug the person beside you because you may be hugging somebody that just asked the Lord into their life today.